verse 14. <clears throat> See, we, we may actually have this memorized before I finish teaching this lesson. We'll keep coming back to it. <clears throat> Hebrews 12 and 14. The Bible says, follow peace <coughs> with all men. And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And just real quick, last week we talked about John chapter 3, how that it said that we, if we're not born of the water and of the Spirit, we cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And if you go to verse 3 of John chapter 3, it says that we can't even see the kingdom of God if we're not born again. And so both of these scriptures, what I'm, what we pulled out last week, talked about quite extensively is the fact that um, if we're not following peace with all men and we're not applying holiness to our life, then we're not going to see Jesus. We're just not going to see him. And uh, just like if we're not baptized and if we're not born again of the water and of the spirit, we're not going to see him. And uh, is the scripture um, saying this is the only thing we have to do to be saved? No. The whole Bible gives us the roadmap to how to get to Jesus. And I want to see Jesus one day. I've got to see Jesus. That's my goal in life is to end this life in eternal life so that it can be with him forever. Um, again, a long time ago, Brother Tuffy reshared shared this statement on Facebook. The question isn't whether you're going to spend whether you're going to spend eternity somewhere. Question is going to be, what location are you going to spend eternity in? You got two choices, and our life depicts where that is going to end up being. And uh, the Scripture gives us plenty of direction on how to make sure that we get to the to to heaven and spend eternity with our Savior. Um, he prepared that place for us. In fact, he told his disciples. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I wouldn't tell you. I'm not just here flapping my, my lips, just making things that sound good so that you can be my friends. He said, I'm going to prepare a home for you. I'm going to heaven to make sure that we have everything ready. And uh, let me tell you something. When it comes to God, God is not one of those that just uh, halfway does things. When God puts things together, he puts it together, and it's well. In fact, the Bible says when God finishes his work, he looks back over it, and he declares that it's very good. You can go back to Genesis chapter 1. That's exactly what he did. And uh, again, here I am going about to get sidetracked. But God, when he does things, he does them well. And there is no question in my mind that when we get to heaven, we can't even, though he gave us some words to describe what heaven's going to be like, I don't think that none of us are going to be able to right now fathom what the glorious state heaven's going to be in. Amen. Praise God. Me and Brother Mays, when we were traveling Monday and Tuesday, we talked about this quite a bit, um, especially going to a funeral, we were talking about life after death, and we've discussed that here in this class before, and, and uh, we got to talking about what's heaven going to be like? Well, as far as we know, 
Uh, some folks refer to them as streets of gold, but the Bible says it is a street of gold. There's going to be a single street through heaven, according to what the scripture shows us. Um, I'm not going to split hairs on that, but I will say we ought to be as careful. How can I say this properly? We got to be careful when we start dissecting the Bible. Line upon line, we need to make sure precept is upon precept and that we build principle upon principle. In fact, I think it was Paul told Timothy, uh, I think it was Paul telling Timothy that we need to study the Scripture, study to show ourselves approved. I know it was Timothy who's telling this. He said, study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. And he said at the end of that, he said, we need to be rightly dividing the word of truth. It's important that we 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 begin to study the Word of God, but we also make sure that we're rightly dividing the Word of God, and we're not just interjecting our own opinions and our own ideologies. Um, it's it's important that we don't do that. Um, in fact, Brother Jason, the other night we were here, <coughs> and he said, hey, I got a question. I know that I've heard some people talk about how certain scriptures shouldn't be in the Bible. In fact, the entire chapter of Mark chapter 16 um, many many uh, theologians will say, hey, we don't believe Mark 16 was in the original transcripts. And uh, I don't, I, I, I'm not going to he- stand here and split hairs, but I can tell you this much. It made it into the scriptures many years ago. And I believe that this entire book is inspired by God, which typically means or, or technically means that he breathed every word that is written in this book. He spoke every word. And if we decide to say, hey, we, we don't need Mark 16, we don't need, um, we don't need this portion of Scripture, um, before long we're going to have dissected the entire Bible and we're not going to have anything that's meaningful. <clears throat> and if they want to do it, there are consequences for doing that, especially if they're using those newfound doctrines and ideas as doctrines and teachings that they're teaching Christians and we got to make sure I'm, I'm not trying to elevate myself too too high but I do understand the office that I feel I'm going to have to stand before God one day and I'm going to have to answer for every word that comes out of my mouth in teaching his word to other folks um, because if I get it wrong honey I have to pay that price I'm, I'm, I'm going to be guilty of their blood, the Bible says. A uh, watchman that was upon the wall in Ezekiel, the Bible tells that watchman, he said, look, if you sound the alarm and you tell them what's going on and you tell them what I've shown you is coming, he said, and you make sure you've proclaimed it and they understand what's going on, he said, you're not liable for their lives if they don't adhere to, to the warning that's being put out. He said, but if you don't, he said, I'm going to account every single person that passes because of the danger that comes. I'm going to put it on your head. And I realize that. My question is, or my, my, my worry is, I don't know if very many other, not very many, let me say this. I'm not saying I'm, I'm one and only. What I am saying is there are a lot of pastors and preachers out there that are just charlatans. Um, last night, I came across a video 
it was put out as comedy, but it wasn't funny to me. Um, I don't know when it was put out there, but there was a preacher, a pastor, who proclaimed a four-letter four word across the pulpit while he was preaching. And it wasn't a slip-up. He meant what he was saying. Because he stopped in that church. They have the organ back in the preacher up. And the organ was going to town, and he was, he was going ham on the organ. And the pastor stopped the organ. He said, stop. I want to, I want to address something. And so he, so he, he reprimanded that church that day for judging him for using a curse word in the pulpit. And some of the people started amen, and you could hear them saying amen. And I said, God, I hope, I hope, I hope somebody stands up against this kind of stuff. I know that they don't teach, in that church they weren't teaching truth, but people can take small little segments of videos like that and say, look, this church is doing it. It should be acceptable in all churches. No, my friends. We can't allow worldliness to step into the church. He still says, come out from among them and be ye separate. That's God's commandment to Christians. We cannot be the same as them out there. Does that make us better? No. We're still susceptible to sin. The moment we stop praying is the moment we start sliding into sin again. And I can promise you this much. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Is the fact that I don't care how much praying you do right now. You go one or two days without praying, you can end up back in the midst of the nasty sin that you used to be a part of. I don't care how many years you've, you've spent time praying. I've watched people who have, who have had a, a decent prayer life. But at the end of the day, one day a, a week went by or a couple days went by and all of a sudden they weren't praying. They weren't allowing God to work in their hearts and their minds. And guess what? They ended up, in fact, those, the people that I have in my mind, they actually rose up against the, the, the ministry in that church and began to, and the reason I can say that I know that those folks had a wrong spirit is simply this, not one of them that rose up in righteousness, I'm going to put air quotes, in righteousness, they rose up in righteousness against the ministry of the church and tried to declare that he was wrong. Not one of them are still in the church anywhere today. So even though you feel like that, I'm not saying you shouldn't, you need to know the word of God. You need to know what's right and what's wrong. That way you can, you can understand when false doctrine begins to be proclaimed. Pray, I pray to God that never happens around here. As far as, as long as I'm pastor here, I'm going to do my best to make sure that never happens around here. And if it does, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say, hey, he was wrong. I don't play games with that kind of stuff. And uh, if, if I were to have somebody come and preach, let me tell you something. I wouldn't let him leave the building until I corrected what I felt like false doctrine was, was dealt with here. We would deal with it that day. And uh, I, I'm sorry, I just, maybe that's too confrontational, but in my mind, it has to be dealt with. If I'm accountable.
For every man that comes through here, I'm accountable for what they say to this church. Not just to you, but I'm accountable to God. And I'm, I'm going to have to stand up one day. And, you know, one other thing that you guys have to understand, and, and we're still, I'm not saying it, um, we, have, uh, we have to realize the power of the Word of God that goes forth from a, a service. And, and maybe this should only be said, I don't know, with ministry, but I, I think the church needs to understand the weight of what happens when a preacher is preaching the Word of God. I believe that God can set a hedge about his people, and I believe that the man that's over that church will be that hedge that God places around that people, and he's going to... He's going to fight off all the things that, that you're going to face. Um, one thing that I do know and I, I've seen played out, not just in my own life with my pastor, but in this church even, where I end up battling things. I end up fighting spiritual warfare, and I end up, I end up dealing with situations. And literally the week after, I end up having to go through these things. I start getting phone calls from church folks. Hey, pastor, I'm going through such and such. I said, I didn't know who it was for, but it had to go through me first. That's how God does things. And that's how God hedges us with protection. Does that make sense to everybody this morning? It's, it's, it, that's where the authority structure kind of plays into, it plays into things, right? If, if we, we are aligned to God then hell has to go through the structure of authority before it can ever get to us. And so by the time it gets down to us, some of the nastiness that we may have endured had we not been aligned to the spiritual authority God put in our life, then we, we, would, have, we would have had to take on the whole brunt of it. But God uses that filter or that funnel, however you want to refer to it as, he uses that funnel to help us understand and, and, and to help filter out some of the uh, veracity of what's going to happen. And uh, starting with, with God himself, right? He's going to say, okay, you guys have read Job, right? They, the enemy had to go to God and say, hey, well, God, God already knew what the devil was doing. So you got to understand, the, the devil already... God already knew what the devil was doing. I don't know what I just said, but I know this much. I, I don't think I said it right. God already knew what the devil was, was doing and, and what he had in mind. And so he began to go. He went to the devil. He presented himself with the angels. And God said, hey, have you considered Job? I had somebody say one time that why would God just randomly choose Job and say, hey, here you go. Go try this guy out. No. It wasn't random. Well, he, he didn't know his heart, but here's the thing. God already knew the devil was scoping out Job. God knows everything. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And so God knew what the enemy was looking at, and he also knew what Job could handle. So he said, all right. 
Have you considered my servant Job? He already knew the answer. He already knew the answer was yes. And so he let the enemy go. And sometimes, same thing happens to us. Elaborate. I'm, I'm trying to follow. you have to understand, when the devil was talking to Jesus, he was talking to God. And so, I don't believe that he had to go get permission to attack the man Jesus Christ because he understood who that was. That was God in the flesh. And I believe that was a direct attack, trying to make the flesh that God had taken on rise up against the spirit that was driving Christ. Does that make sense? Let me ask any let me ask you guys a question. Do you believe Jesus could sin? So he had the capability to fall into sin, right? Now that's important for you to understand because if you feel the other way, then really that's not, that's not a replacement for you and me. And he had to become a replacement for you and me. So the man, the flesh of Jesus Christ could sin. It could. And that's what the devil was trying to do, was to cause him to fall into the different things. In fact, um, we're going to actually unpack this later on in this series of lessons, but there is... Um, I'm trying to remember all of them. So there's, there's the pride of life, the, there's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, in three, these three categories, you're going to find every sin in the, in, in, that is possible to man. You got the lust of the eyes. Well, what's the lust of the eyes, right? You can think of things like we're lusting after things people have. We're lusting after individuals, pornography, sto- stuff like that. The, the the lust of um, the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh the lust of the flesh would be envy which so the lust of the eyes would be the things that we take in visually the lust of the flesh would be the things that we ponder and then you have the pride of life which says hey everybody look at me okay now you take those three items the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and you look at what the enemy tempted Jesus with, he, he, he ran the gamut. He said, all right, I'm going to try to get him to fall in one of these major areas. Because if I can do that, I've been successful, and this, God's going to have to start all over because I was able to trip up the flesh. You understand that Jesus is considered the second Adam. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can find where Paul makes that correlation between Jesus Christ being the second Adam and the first Adam. The first Adam, what happened with the first Adam? He fell into sin. But the second Adam didn't. He became sin for us. That's what the scripture tells us, right? And so we understand that that now going to that scenario, here's where here's where I don't I believe there's a massive difference between Job and Jesus being tempted. Okay? Job wasn't God in the flesh. In fact, Job didn't even have the Holy Ghost. Job only had one thing, and that was faith in Jesus. That's it. All that he had was faith and a relationship. The faith is what drove the relationship. You with me today? We can look at Job's life and we can say, hey, here we go. We have Job, and for each and every one of us, our relationship begins with not a trick question or a statement. It begins with faith. He that cometh to Jesus must what? Believe that he is. It is impossible to please God. How is it impossible to please God? Think about it. In Hebrews, Scripture tells us, For without faith, it is impossible to please him. For we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. And so we got to, we're just running a whole gamut here. Um, Job didn't have the Holy Ghost, but he had a relationship. He made sacrifice. He He knew how to get a hold of God's heart. And... Jesus, the Son of God, the flesh, he had to withstand sin, but he had to do it without sinning. And so that's where I say there's a difference because God's covering Job because of his relationship. Now let me tell you something. You don't have a relationship with God. You don't have the covering of his spirit. It's a whole nother lesson, but just consider with me. If you read 1 Corinthians, the Bible says that we need to deliver certain people to the devil. What does that mean? You ever considered that? What does it mean to deliver somebody to the devil? Well, it's really simple. When you have to, when God commands something like that, it's, it's just simply... The church removes its covering of prayer over that individual and lets them go and lets the enemy have his way with them. You know, it doesn't happen very often. Thank God for that. It is a sad place to be. But most of the time what when that happens, it's because that individual has refused to repent before God. And that's one of the things that me as a pastor, I don't want to ever have to do. Because that's where it's going to have to start. And then 
I've been in those services, folks. It's not a fun place to be. But I can tell you this, when those people come back, Brother Tuffy, it's a beautiful thing. Because I can tell you, when God begins to work in their life, I think it was Paul said, behold the goodness and the severity of God. The goodness and the severity of God. What does that tell me? That tells me that first, Sister Winnie, that God reaches out for me with goodness. He begins to bless me. He begins to reach out to me with love and passion. Through, through the church people, what, whatever the case may be, God blesses us. And he tries to reach us with his goodness. But thank God he doesn't give up if we don't respond to his goodness. Then he allows life to happen to us. And when he typically can't get somebody with his goodness, he typically finds them with his severity or his, it's not his wrath, he's just allowing life to happen to these people. And then they turn and say, you know what, I do need God. I'll tell you this much, please God, let me always respond to your goodness because I sure don't want to have to go through those trials just, just because. But I can tell you this, this hard head of mine, I have to go through some trials and tribulations sometimes just because I need the help of the Lord. I need it. And, uh, yeah. And we say, man, why am I going through this situation? Well, can you for a moment stop and think about the times that God was trying to reach you with his goodness? I definitely can. And when I look back after having an understanding of how God reaches for people and calls people out of the world and, and tries to change their life, because God has begun to show us those things in the Word of God. Look, this information is in the Bible. All of what I'm talking about today is laying right here in these scriptures. We just need to learn how to find these things and allow God to work in our lives and our hearts and our minds. He wants us to know what I'm talking about today simply because he doesn't want to have to reach us with a severity either. But these are the two methods that he uses to get our attention. And I can tell you, I don't know how many times, I will have to say, I think most of the time, unfortunately, God's had to shake my world a few times um, because I'm not getting the fact, hey, God's blessing me. I, you know, I ought to just say, hey, what is it, Lord? Can I, can I be used of you? Uh, here I am. Use me. Whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden, I don't have to go through tri tribulation. I don't think it's the will of God for us to have to go through turmoil. Often, but I do know that God helps us when we do, if we'll turn to him. Amen. We can, we can face all of these things if we stay full of the Holy Ghost. We can be successful in all of these things if we stay full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. There is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. But we need to stay full of the Holy Ghost. It's important that we have it. We need his power. We need his spirit. The same spirit that raised Jesus out of the grave. We're going to be celebrating next week the fact that Jesus came out of the grave. We're going to be celebrating that fact. But the same power that raised him out of the, out of the grave resides in those who are filled with the Holy Ghost. 
It's God's Spirit living in us. And I, 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 cannot, I cannot tell you how beautiful it is when we begin to realize that the reason Jesus was telling his disciples, hey, I've got to leave you. I can't be with you anymore. He said, because I have to go away so that I can come back and be in you. It's, it's, he's like, look, I can get more accomplished. I've said this a few times in this class and in, in regular services that, hey, God wants to use us. How many believe that? God wants to use us. All right. Now, God wants to be effective in the world. How many of y'all believe that? So let me ask you a question. Can you be more effective with one individual who has all of the power of God living in him or multiple people who have the power of God living in them? Because as long as Jesus was a man, he couldn't split himself into multiple people. Now, the Spirit can do all things, but he was setting a principle. You understand, God, God never showed himself in more than one theophany to anybody. I was thinking about this the other day and started studying, and, guess, and, I, and I never found one place. He showed himself in a, in a burning bush to Moses. How many burning bushes were on fire? The Bible said one. He spoke through a donkey. He didn't speak through multiple donkeys. A single donkey was used there. When he met with Abraham, the Bible says that he was made a visible man to Abraham. That he communed, he talked to him face to face as a fleshly individual. The scripture says it was his Lord. Others, it's, it's one of those things that gets debated, right? So I'm not saying I'm right or they're right, but I am saying this much. The one whom he conversed with and the one whom gave the promise, he only called one of those three men Lord. Only one of them. I could go on and on. Every time that he showed up, he was only Showing himself as one. How, how many men joined the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace? Just one. There was three Hebrew boys. And when the king Nebuchadnezzar went to the fiery furnace, he saw how many more? One more. So there was a total of four in there now. Just one. Brother Tuffy, you can't convince me that, what's that? They said he was like unto the Son of God. That's right. I don't believe it was the actual Jesus Christ because he wasn't yet born. you got to understand, the man Jesus Christ was born of Mary. So that could not have been Jesus in the fiery furnace. But it could have got, been God taking on another fleshly depiction. Does that make sense? Yes, I believe it was God in the fire with them. Not just an angel, because it said the Son of God, okay? But what I am saying is I don't believe it was Jesus, because Jesus was born of Mary, 
way after that transpired. But it was just one other individual. My point is, God made it a point to never show himself in more than one body at a time. Does that make sense? That's why I have such a trouble, such trouble with the Trinitarian doctrine. Because it says that he is three people in one Godhead. That's, you see where my problem comes. Because nowhere in the scripture, in any theophany or any manifestation of God, did he show himself as more than one individual object. Whether it was a burning bush, whether it was a donkey, whether it was an individual, he never showed himself as more than one, ever. Therefore, Jesus, the man Jesus Christ, before he can manifest himself in multiple people through the spirit living inside of us, an omnipresent spirit coming inside of us, the only Jesus we're going to see, is those, that Jesus that lives inside of each and every one of us Christians? It's not God showing himself, but it's his spirit living inside of us, using each and every one of us, giving us power. Does this make sense this morning? I'm not trying to confuse us too much, but it's just, to me, we get to understand, if we are going to be his ambassadors, if we're going to be his representatives, then we need to be like him. And that's why Jesus had to leave his disciples, because if he was there in person, he couldn't come and do the rest of the work that he wanted to do. Was there a law that stated he had to leave so that he could come back and live inside of us? No. It was the precedent that God had set in stone. God doesn't change his mind, folks. When God states something, when God sets precedents, when God sets laws, he doesn't change his mind. And last time I made that statement, somebody said, so that means we need to live under the law. I said, well, you can if you want. I can promise you this. If you live under the law and you abide by those dietary restrictions, there wouldn't be very many of us heavy people. I said us heavy people. But God did give us those restrictions, and he gave us those principles, and he gave us those guidelines. I don't think we throw them all away. It's in the scripture for a reason. What are the things that we can learn from them? Do we have to abide by Jewish law and custom? No. You know how I know that? The Bible tells you so. I didn't make it up. If you want to know what things are adhered to and what things aren't, the writer of Hebrews actually depicted every single one of those things. The Bible has an answer for every question. I did good in removing those extra points. I didn't talk about that today, but I didn't talk about anything else on here either, so... I, uh, oh, come on, Jesus. I want to be what God wants me to be. I want to make sure that I'm not just going through the motions of life, 
but I want to make sure that I'm devoted to him wholeheartedly. And I'm, I'm likely going to talk about this a little bit more here in just a few minutes, but when, I'm, when I preach my message, but I, I have such a heavy burden because I'm watching life happen, and as we're moving into nicer days and nicer weather and all that, My heart is stirred because our church has a history of come summertime, we become less faithful to the house of God. And I'm not saying any of you are doing that. I'm just saying our church, since we have been, since the inception of this church, it has been the history. And I'm hoping that this year we can break that mold. Because I feel like that would be one of the last little things that we, if we can break that barrier, I believe that's a stronghold of the enemy. Again, maybe I I should wait until later, but just help me pray. Because I want to see greater revival than we've ever seen before. I want to see it. But the only way we can do that is every time we come up against a barrier, we're going to have to destroy that barrier. And again, let the enemy know, we're not going through this again. Had they not walked around the, the walls of Jericho, and had they not blown the trumpets and shouted, the walls would not have fallen. And they would have still had a barrier that was standing between them and the victory God wanted them to have. All I'm saying is, we as a church, when we rise up together and we begin to shout unto the Lord and we begin to cry out to God, saying, God, whatever the case may be, and sometimes those things are saying, all right, God, I know life is crazy. Does that mean we can't go on vacation? That is not what I'm saying at all. That is not what I'm saying. Does that mean we have to we have to uh, change jobs? I'm not saying all that, folks. What I'm saying is, let's prioritize the things of God even when things are comfortable. And, and, and again, I'm, I'm thinking of, of us here today, and I'm not at all pointing fingers at any of one of us in here today. What I'm trying to deal with today is a spiritual aspect of what I have encountered as a pastor over the last six years, six and a half years, somewhere in that region. Um, If it's not convenient, and this isn't just our church dealing with this either. If it's not convenient for us, we don't adhere to it. But when it is convenient, yeah, I'll be there. I'll do whatever God's asking me to do. One day, Christianity is not going to be a convenience. It's going to have to become a priority. Seeking after God is going to have to become a priority. And that all entails, let me tell you something, this whole concept of holiness, if we don't get the basics on, down up in, in, in our hearts and our minds, it's got to begin on the inside before it begins to manifest itself on the outside. And we've got to fall in love with him like we've never fallen in love with him before. Amen. I love Jesus. He's been good to me, Brother Tuffy. He's been faithful to me. 
I want to be faithful to him. Amen. Praise God. Well, it's early. I knew if I started on the next point that I had on my sheet here that we'd be, I'd be ended up going long. So it's a little bit early. Let's give them some space over there. I don't know if they're finished yet or what's going on, but, um, but let's begin praying here in just a few minutes and let's ask God to have His way today. Amen. I, uh, you guys are stuck with me today, so. Um, Brother Mays will be here Sunday. What's that? I'll see if I can figure it out. <laughs> All right. We love you guys.